This episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. on a team comparison. Um, so two questions. First one, in the last 10 years, what organization's top defense was anchored by a defensive-minded rim runner while its offense was led by at least one guard who drives at an elite rate and can pull up efficiently? And question two, what was that team's best season? John, I'm going to give um, you one guess. One I'm guess looking, to rule them all. One guess to rule them all. I'm looking for... I'm looking for that this organization has had a great defense in like over the course of the last 10 years or just a one year out of the last 10. So they were been very good for a while. Uh, it was one year in particular where they really peaked as a team and they finally hit that mark. But overall, and, it, yeah. And they were the best defense in the league when they hit that mark or they Not were right it, up there. They were right up there. They were right up there and they were sure. anchored by a defensive minded rim runner mm-hmm. and their offense was um, anchored by at least a, one guard that drove a ton and pulled up efficiently. Yep. At least one guard, arguably two, probably even more. They were dynamite offensively. Can I have like 15 seconds to try to figure this out? Yes, you can. If you had one shot, one opportunity, sees everything you ever wanted. I've hmm. you capture it. Or would, you you, or, or would you let it slip like I'm mm. probably about to do? Give um, it your best shot. My my gut feeling, my my first instinct was to say Utah with, with Donovan and, and Rudy. Is that your final answer? I will say I'm just I'm looking at the NBA standings and just looking at all these different teams. There's the, I think you could make arguments for a couple other a couple other ones, but I'll I'll go with that. Okay, and if you were to go with this team, is there a year that you have in mind? What was Utah's best season um, on offense or defense? I mean, no, their best. I know their their best season overall was it was the year before their last year to so three seasons ago. So twenty 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 one. Sure, let's go with that. John, you're correct. Hey, nicely done, out, baby. very good job. So yeah, <laughs> right. the Jazz were essentially constructed in a way where the Knicks. Are operating similarly now if the jazz are a blueprint and let's face it it wouldn't be crazy that they would be why uh well they got walt perrin out of utah he's kind of running their draft they also have johnny bryant who is on the team as the associate head coach so it it stands to reason why the knicks would take so many of the elements that utah had as a successful organization and then try to use it as a blueprint does that mean use it the exact same way? No, not necessarily. There are things that are going to differ. But up here on the screen right now, I look at the EPM, estimated plus minus, another great stat that we've been talking about before. And I've sorted it by overall EPM. And at the top in this year, you've got Rudy Gobert, right? I mean, he was the best defender in the NBA that year. He was a 99th percentile overall. Fantastic player. I 
typically feel that you cannot, and this came true, sure enough, you can't have your best player be a center who changes the game on defense, but is not going to do anything with you on offense. It, it's just, it's really tough to do that. Jokic, completely different story, right? Because um, he is yeah. also their point guard in so many different ways. But here, it, they struggle. After that, you have Mike Conley. Mike Conley was in the 97th percentile. Talk about a hey. guard who pulls up and plays defense and um, runs pick and roll to a fantastic level um, and efficient too. Although that season he was moderately efficient, but was, even still, like that's that's where he kind of goes. But that that correct me if I'm wrong. That was the once that was the season. It was I think it was in as an injury replacement. That was the year he made the All Star team, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. I believe it was. And you've Donovan Mitchell, 94th percentile overall. He was obviously fantastic, great player. We know about him. We know about him. We've talked enough about him. Joe Ingles, fourth, 91st percentile overall. By the way, having four players in the top 10, you know, in the 90th percentile or above overall is really good. Joe Ingles does so many things well. Um, Then you got Nyang, interestingly enough, who's now with Philly. He was in the 78th percentile. Boyan Bogdanovich, 76th percentile. Jordan Clarkson, another pull-up shooter, 67th percentile. Royce O'Neal, 61st percentile. His best defensive year, I want to say, was this year. It was the 72nd percentile. That's not good enough for you know your wing defender to be that level. You need more than that on the defensive end. And then Derek Favors, which was kind of always a bit of a head-scratcher when he came back to Utah. So that was kind of interesting. But one other thing I wanted to point out, if you are watching this... If you go all the way to location and you see the three-point percentage, there's a little bar on the side. And it kind of fluctuates for each player. You'll see Royce O'Neal's bar is kind of like half full. And the other guys, they're, they're moderately full or all the way full. That is attempt frequency. So how many attempts are you taking from three? And what's interesting about that is the Knicks have, or excuse me, the Jazz, Freudian slip, have players one through four taking a whole lot of threes. And they're hitting them. At a really great level. The Jazz were a phenomenal offensive three-point shooting team. And they took a lot of these shots. And what did their fives do? Their fives did not do the shooting. The fives stayed closer to the basket. They gobbled up the offensive rebounds. So that is kind of where you see the Knicks and where it comes into play. So when we go back to the established archetypes, okay, pull-up shooting, drive, spot-up shooting, pick-and-roll ball handler, Mike Conley, Jalen Brunson. Got it. Uh, Shooting guards, great to elite defender, spot up shooter, connector. Well, we could say it's Quentin Grimes, um, but this would be Donovan Mitchell, right? Because he wasn't yeah. a small forward. So if we flip two and three, where it's okay for the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell was there too. And let's say RJ Barrett for their, their two or you know, New York's two. And then you get Royce O'Neal and Quentin Grimes at the three. It makes a little bit more sense. You've got your high driving offensive player, one and two, and then someone to, to, protect the defense and hit these open shots at three. And at the four, again, you've got someone like Randall, Bogdanovich. Well, I was about to say Bogdanovich, if he didn't average 20 that season, I'm, I'm going to look it up right now because he was he took a, he's taken a shit ton of shots over the last few years. Exactly. So he was a high usage player. He spotted up really well. He also actually, interestingly enough, big pull-up guy. So is that something, again, that the Knicks want to lean on with Randall or is it just happen to be um, something they share in common. And maybe that's where they differ. Uh, and obviously both players were scorers. And then of course the centers, Mitchell Robinson, Rudy Gobert. There's a lot of connection there in terms of what they're like. So it shouldn't. And of course these are the jazz also had really efficient players for the most part. 
They were very good in the half court and they didn't really turn the ball over that much, if I recall correctly. So this is kind of where you try to branch off. You got the Jazz said, we have two guards. Uh, we don't care really about the defense about for one of them. We'd prefer, obviously, if all five players are great defensively, but we care about their offensive ceiling. And so we then shift the defensive burden onto the three. And we're cool with that because then we also at the four have other offense going on. I think there's a question of whether the Jazz should have had someone who is better defensively than Bogdanovich. It seemed like oftentimes if Conley wasn't doing his job on defense, Mitchell definitely wasn't going to. And O'Neal was kind of pulled away. And it just kind of was a house of cards that Gobert then had to deal with. And it's funny to hear Mitchell Robinson towards the end of the season this past year saying how he can't do everything. There's got to be more defense out there. So it's just, it's an interesting parallel between these two teams. And it's something to keep note of. It's not to say the Knicks couldn't ever make a change, right? Like, let's say, again, someone like, let's say Giannis randomly becomes available next year. I don't know if he's going to. I don't know if he's going to the Knicks, but let's just hypothesize. He does not totally fit the four in terms of what we've constructed, right? Like, yeah, he is a high usage, high usage player and he's a scorer, but he's not really a spot up shooter. And he's definitely going to need someone at the five who's different than your typical rim runner because the Knicks will need better spacing in general. So it's kinetic. Does the new five that the Knicks look for, is it someone who's who can do so much of this? They can rebound on offense. They can protect the rim. They can run in the pick and roll. They can be good in the half court. But also, they're really good from the outside. Like, How do you find a Brooke Lopez type? Is the only player who can really do that who's not 36, 37 years old, Jaron Jackson Jr.? It's how you then add these pieces together to make them all fit is a really fascinating thing. I think there's more give and take when it comes to the front court than it is the back court. I think you you need to be able to really have these pull-up threats from your your back court or like at least one and three. Um but it's not something that's necessarily the priority later on at the four or five. So it's just fascinating how all of these pieces might have to move if you get one great player and where the Knicks are willing to sacrifice on one end, but they have to gain on the other. A uh, couple of things. Uh, one, just to answer my own question that I raised before, Boyan only averaged 17 that year, but the previous year he had averaged 20. That, <laughs> that dude could score. Um, two, more importantly, I don't know if... Uh, Maybe some people listening to this or watching this may may not remember. Um, Utah that season, not only were they the best team in the league by record and net rating, they ran roughshod over the NBA during this year. They had a 9.0 net rating. The next best team um, was the team that actually eliminated them from the playoffs, as it were. And that was the Los Angeles Clippers at 6.1. We'll get back to them in a second. But just to give you an idea of how much how much better than everybody else the Jazz were that year, the difference between them and the second place Clippers in net rating um, was a, well, it was bigger than the difference between the second place Clippers and the seventh place Nets. Um, the Jazz had uh, the fourth best offense in the league, and they had the third best defense in the league. They were, I would argue, more than maybe you could think of another. I'm literally trying to think of another team in the last 10, 15 years. They were the team that I think put to the test the theory that 
you can't win a chip or as this as their season was going along people i think people were starting to ask can they put the theory to the test of you need a top whatever five six seven eight like cal like offensive player to win a title because they didn't the only player they had that made the all nba team was was rudy gobert and rudy gobert has obviously made the all nba team for a very specific skill set which you just talked about Donovan Mitchell was kind of like right on the outside looking in. Mike Connolly was like a little bit low, but like they had assembled this collection of pieces that did these very specific things, as you just so eloquently pointed out and, and detailed. And it's an, it's an interesting thing to wonder about because they did have a little bit of injury, bad luck in the playoffs. Donovan was a little hurt. Like Mike Connolly was a little hurt if memory serves. Um, but there's also an argument that they ran into literally the only team in the NBA <laughs> that could throw something at them that on one end of the court neutralized what their greatest strength was because they had, you know, Utah defended well enough all year long, but they defended well enough against teams that ran, you know, traditional lineups out there. Whereas the Clippers, all they did was they ran uh, the whole team was these six, 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 seven, six, eight, wing guys and then when you had all the switching that was necessitated it kind of neutered Gobert's effectiveness on the defensive end so it completely took them out of their elements uh, element on defense and then but and yet I just looked up uh, Utah on offense um, they were the second best offensive team in the playoffs that year by offensive rating so it's not like the Clippers shut them down but what was the one thing everybody was saying by the end of that uh, end of that excruciating series if you're a Jazz fan the one place that they should have had where they could take advantage of the of uh, the Clippers switch everything defense was Gobert. What can't Gobert do? You can't just dump the ball to Gobert and say, go score over the guy who's six or seven inches shorter than you. He's not capable of doing that. And that's why I say it was like really the worst matchup for them between that and health. You know, who knows what they've beaten the Suns, what they've beaten the Bucks. Nobody knows. But like they really did assemble, I think, just about the best team you could assemble within reason without a, you know, true blue super duper star. Um, and it just kind of didn't work out for them. I think the last thing I'll say, and you kind of just talked about it a minute ago, it did raise some questions about maybe w- what is your ceiling as a team in the league today? If you have a center whose skill set on offense is just very limited, mm-hmm. um, which maybe we're going to get into you know, later in this presentation or, or one of the other ones you do. But I, I think, and, and, and sure. And I know you've done this exercise. If you look at the teams that make it all the way or make it to the second to last round and what their centers are at least capable of doing, or at the very least, if you're a team like Boston, where like, do you have that, that, you know, center that really strikes fear into opponent's hearts. Well, you know, Harford used to be, not really, but you have so many different ways you could go with the position between Harford and, and Robert Williams and Grant Williams, even for the, for the time being. Um, so they even have a, a kind of a pivot. Anyway, um, yeah, that's all I, I wanted to say. That That's a great comp. Really Thank you. Well, no, that was great context. I really appreciate you providing that because I, I wouldn't have thought of a lot of those different things. So that's great. 
For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. In terms of your, can you run out a traditional five for 48 minutes and win an NBA title? I don't think you can. I, I think also so a lot of it has to deal with, okay, can you have a backup four who can run as a small ball five? Obviously, the Knicks or even Tom Thibodeau did not trust Obi Toppin or has not trusted Obi Toppin enough through three years to be that guy. Are the Knicks going to be looking for someone like that? Or are they going to switch up their entire situation at the five to be discussed in a later point, but I actually want to go back really quickly because you inspired me. Um, if you look, at, you know, let's say you're you're following along, you're like, I don't really want to be the Jazz. I don't blame you. But also, the Knicks don't want to be the Jazz either. They just want to use them as something to go off of because so many of the principles that the Jazz incorporate are winning principles. Um, the Jazz did not have an elite player, as you talked about, John. Their best player was Donovan Mitchell, who, oh, I, I guess, Rudy Gobert. Um, but they didn't have a guard or in the a traditional sense. Sure. The, yes. It's, your, your, your pick and roll initiator, dry all the, the guy who does all the things. Yes. hundred percent. But they didn't have a guard or a forward who is an all NBA player. It just didn't happen while they were there. And if you're the Knicks, you're probably thinking, okay, what if we could build a souped up version of the jazz? What if we could find a true elite player to fill in ahead of the Donovan Mitchell role, ahead of the Bogdanovich role, the Gobert role, whatever it might be. But the other thing to consider here, and this is going to ring true for this, the rest of this presentation uh, and moving forward, a major difference between the Jazz of 2020-2021 and the Knicks of 2022-23. Age. We talked yeah. about before. Look at this. Gobert, that season, 29. Conley, 33. Mitchell, 24. Ingles, 33. Bogdanovich, Yang, 28. Bogdanovich, 32. Clarkson, 29. O'Neal, 28, favors 30. I mean, they have one player who's under the age of 26. The Knicks, their entire roster or their entire rotation was 28 and under. So the Jazz, this was like peaks of all these players' peaks, so to speak, except for maybe Conley, were hitting at the right time. And the Knicks, so many of their players outside of probably Randall, are still approaching their peaks. And it's great to know that Jalen Brunson probably hasn't even hit his peak yet. But that's just the kind of thing to keep in mind as you move forward and, and you and, do all these different things. And just one one real quick note. Um, look, the Jazz have been an impeccably run organization for a very long time now. So I want this, I want to t- everybody to take this with a grain of salt. The Connolly trade when they made it, which was correct me, I know you remember this. I correct me if I'm wrong. There were ultimately two firsts that went out in that trade. It was a, I think it was a, a first that was like that season, mm-hmm. and then I think it was a first that was two years later. 
Grace um, Allen, I think, was in that as well. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That he might have been, but it was but yes. a, it was a hefty price for a guard who was very expensive. And look, the Jazz did nice to resign him to some manageable numbers as, as the years went by, but like he was not on their timeline when they when they got him. And while I don't know that I would say that his decline was part of the reason that team broke up, I think that team broke up because of some internal dynamics between you know Donovan and Gobert and maybe some other stuff as well. But like they that was their big move. And to but to their credit, it was not an all-in move. And had those internal dynamics not existed, which I again I think was what really broke up that team. They had another move in them because like if you, they have at this point, like all of their their own picks moving forward. I think maybe they're out one or something. Actually, no, I don't think they are. I think they have everything they, moving forward. If they if they don't, it's like one their pick. pick is. Yeah, their next year's pick is top 10 protected. OK, for there you go. Three years. OK, and then so they have one second. They have essentially one pick out the door. But like they had another move if they wanted to keep that team together and they didn't want to keep it together because those guys didn't like each other and they should, they they were like that's it but like I guess my point is you you followed up what I said with like you know if you're like well why would the Knicks want to be the Jazz like again please don't poo poo what the Jazz did that year yeah. they, they had one of the very best net rating I'm not saying this to you I'm saying to anybody listening Great. like the Jazz had one not only the best net rating that year they had one of the best efficiency differentials that you'll see in uh, like the best efficiency, efficiency differential this year belonged to the Boston Celtics at like plus what 6.2 or 6.3. So it was way, way, way below what that jazz team was able to accomplish. And like, who's to say if they stayed together, if they actually liked each other um, another couple of years and like made that one more trade to keep the, you know, bolster things um, that they couldn't have won at all. Like that, that team was freaking good. It was, it's not a bad team to draw inspiration from. I'll tell if, you that. If you can't get a, but that's the other part of it. The only reason they were going that route is because they couldn't get, they didn't have the the, the true blue number yeah. one. So like they were just working with what they had, much like the 2022-23 mix. And think about how many of those players were homegrown, right? And yeah. they lost Gordon yeah. Hayward for nothing. Who was homegrown? Yeah. Well, that and who was the- who played a key role in so many of those things happening? Walt Aaron. So mm-hmm. not the worst spot to be in. But let's no. let's move on. You know, we talked about the the Knicks in terms of their role in all this, but I also wanted to rank them by EPM. Julius Randle, he was in the 93rd percentile. Um, Mitchell Robinson, 90th. Mano Quickly, 89th. Jalen Brunson, 88th. Josh Hart, 87th. Quentin Grimes, 83rd. Obi Toppin, 57th. Isaiah Hartenstein, 56th. RJ Barrett, 48th. And then Jericho Sims and Evan Fournier, who are really out for that period of, you know, they weren't in the rotation. And if, Let, and if yes. every one of those players had played up to their EPMs in the second round against Miami, I think the Knicks might be playing a basketball game tonight. Definitely possible. Definitely <laughs> possible. So I wanted to plot this out. Basketball Index can plot out EPM for this season only because the other stuff is behind a paywall. We have access to that, so we'll show it. But from a plotting out standpoint, it's not really there. You don't want to be within the 75th percentile um, on either side, right? You want to be 76th percentile and greater on offense, 76th percentile and greater on defense. So if you're in the red square, um, you don't want to be there. That's There's a big X there. Uh, who are the players who happen to be there? 
again, this is, I didn't even limit minutes on this one. This is just to show no, all poor, the poor Trevor kills. Uh, Trevor kills is way at the bottom. I'm sorry, Trevor. It's not you. It's just, it's the way it shakes out. Uh, although it kind of is you to be quite honest. Jericho <laughs> Sims is don't, there. Don't give him the, it's not you. It's me routine. It's, it's, it's you. you. I, I it's did you. not have an impact on you following there, Trevor. Um, Jericho Sims is there. Evan Fournier had a terrible season. He's there. He, this is the first year that he's really been that bad. Uh, Derek Rose, Ryan Archidiacono, Deuce McBride's there. But the thing about Deuce is he took a huge step defensively. He was a 62nd percentile, as I mentioned, on defense. That was, I think he was in the teens on the defensive end um, before that and less considerate, you know, less solid minutes or fewer solid minutes there. So he played 64 games last year. I still think he's going to be in a what becomes a 10-man rotation, especially because I believe he's going to get extended by for a small amount. Um, I think that he can shift up past that 75, 75th percentile mark and be totally fine. Uh, you've got Cam Reddish teetering right at the 75th percentile on defense. I think mm-hmm. a lot of that was made up for uh, when he was in Portland, but certainly this wasn't just capturing his time with the Knicks. Um you got Isaiah Hardstein, who was the 76th percentile on defense. He's above that. He clears, doesn't clear the offensive part. But that's okay because we know he can do it in the past. Uh, and then on the good offense, but just not cutting at defensive end, but also not good enough offensively, um, you have Obi Toppin and you have RJ Barrett. And right on the border there is Fima Kailuk. Good for Svi. He had a Productive season in Charlotte. Got rattled off some wins. Yeah, rattled off some wins against the Mavericks, which he hadn't, to be quite honest. That pick would probably be in New York right now, but that's a different story. I know. Uh, And then, you know, Jalen Brunson is, if if you see the 100 cutoff, it wasn't wasn't me for some reason. Some of them have zeros. I don't know. But regardless, it's like Jalen Brunson's really, really good on offense. And Julius Randle is too. And Julius Randle graded out as a better defender by like 50 points um, to Jalen Brunson. It's okay. Both are great on offense. That and then that top right me. corner, top right corner, you got uh, these are, you know, in the 76th percentile or better on offense and on defense. It's Josh Hart. It's Quentin Grimes. It's Emmanuel quickly and Mitchell Robinson for special role players. I don't mean that in an insensitive way at all. They are stars in their role and I love them and I'm glad they're here and I hope they stay here. All four of them. So, that's just to go to show as to where these players fall on the line. And now we're going to get a little bit more into the weeds. Because why wouldn't we, right, John? <laughs> the so weeds let's are, look at, are where the, the magic is made. Yeah, you know, stay off the weed, but stay in the weeds. That's that's what I just said, <laughs> Stephen A. Uh, past acquisitions. Let's talk about the first year that, that Leon Rose and company took over. Reggie Bullock, right? If, uh, <laughs> before we got to the, or I guess, yeah, before we got to the Knicks, he had a good offensive season. It was fine. Defense wasn't great. Comes to the Knicks. Uh, when he's there, that this was the, oh my God, we didn't get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving or second yeah. star, whoever it is, season. Yeah. Uh, Reggie's offense wasn't very good. 37th percentile. 71st percentile on defense, though. Had a partial guarantee. Knicks didn't want to eat the money. They said, we'll take you back, sure. And he caught fire in the second half of that season when Julius Randle said, dude, just shoot. Just keep shooting. 76th percentile on offense. 62nd percentile on defense, not a lockdown defender. And the offense was not sustainable. So what did the Knicks do? They said, Reggie, good luck in Dallas. We don't need you. And he went to Dallas and uh, the offense certainly leveled off. It was 57th percentile. Defense stayed somewhat consistent, but still went down to 57th. Uh, and then this past year, actually, I don't have it pictured, but he was pretty bad. So the Knicks made the right gamble when it came to Reggie Bullock. Yeah. Austin Rivers Really just a shot in the dark. Hey, we need some sort of scoring off the bench 
because I would imagine Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, good vet. But I would yeah. imagine Tom Thibodeau didn't fully trust Emmanuel quickly to the point where they said, all right, well, let's let's add someone with the money. They got him. Uh, what's funny enough is Rivers' best defensive season by far, 75th percentile uh, on the defensive end was in New York. But he spent so little time on the Knicks that it probably also helped that he was on other teams where he might have done better. So Rivers was a wash, didn't do anything of consequence, didn't do anything of consequence I, after leaving the Knicks either. Um, which we'll, is we'll always have Utah. That one. Always have. Yes, that was a great yeah. game. Thank God for Utah. Uh, Alfred Payton, right? So he comes to the Knicks in the Steve Mills year, 2018 19. Talk and about our Right. Drive. Just who cares what happens when we get to the rim, but drive. drive. First year in New York, 71st percentile on offense, 24th percentile on defense. Um, then the Tibbs effect, 71st percentile on offense when the Knicks bring him back. I'm sorry. No, no, that was before he got here. Then yeah, he the no, 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 no. He, he got first brought season, back to right. be the starting point guard for the yes. Knicks for the uh, first, first season he was in New York. It was 71st percentile on offense, but on defense, he somehow was really good. At least we can say with the eye test that there are times where it was just absolute nightmare, but defensively from an EPM standpoint, grayed out really well. 84th percentile. Then the new regime comes in. They bring him back because they said, look, we love players who drive. We love players who pull up. We love players who are efficient. You do one of those things, uh, Alfred. And also the market for point guards is so slim that fine, we'll bring you back on a cheap one-year deal. Alfred comes back. Offense, egregious. 37th percentile. Defense, crashing down. 56th percentile. 41st percentile overall. Not good. Next year. Goes to Phoenix, finishes in the first percentile offensively. Really bad. Uh, level at 56th again in defense, finishes in the fourth percentile EPM. Uh, I don't believe he played in the NBA this year. No, he so, was not. I don't think he was on a team. I'll double check that though. Knicks made a one year gamble. It did whatever. They realized they needed Derrick Rose, and that's fine. Nerlens Noel is such a funny case to me because he is, from a defensive EPM standpoint, um, a dream, right? We're talking straight like 90 or above the year before he got to the Knicks 97th percentile gets to the Knicks 97th percentile comes back to the Knicks 90th leaves the Knicks albeit and played not a ton this past season 95th percentile it's the offense 53rd percentile before he comes to the Knicks then the 30th the year he's there 11th the year he's there and then last year again first percentile not with the Knicks so the Knicks clearly made a better gamble when they got Hartenstein instead of Maryland's Noel he, he might not be on an NBA team next year. It's it's possible. I mean, he could be a third string center, but the offense, uh, you know, you can't really get that much worse than first percentile. It's bad. Uh, Taj Gibson comes to the Knicks, 77th percentile on offense. Then the new regime comes in and Taj doesn't have a place. So the Knicks sign him later in the season. Uh, no, never mind. <laughs> it's, no. it's hard. I shouldn't. It shouldn't be that hard to figure this out because I have it color coded. The year before he was with the Knicks. Yeah, I was about to say 21, 21 22, he came midway through, right? Yes. Yeah, 2019 uh, yeah. 20, the year first, excuse me, the first Steve Mills year. The Steve Mills Scott Perry year, 2019. Yeah. They signed uh, Taj this eight year, eight, I can't speak, two year deal. First year's eight year, oh my God. Two year first, first year's eight, first year's eight year, million dollars. Second, and the second year was a, was a partial guarantee of a million. Partial yes. guarantee. That first year, right? Um, 68th percentile on offense, 62nd percentile on defense. The Knicks don't bring him back, and then they do bring him back, and it's the 44th percentile on offense. Not good, but the Tibbs effect puts Taj at the five, 94th percentile on defense. 
It's good enough to bring him back for the next year. They bring him back on the room exception. It's 27th percentile on offense. Not good. 81st percentile on defense. Very good. And then he goes to Washington and he repeats the same offense on 27th. The defense was 16th. So not great. This is another situation of the Knicks letting a player go and that player just, it worked out for the Knicks to not do it. Here's a case where it didn't. Alec Burks. Before Alec Burks got there, 67th percentile offense, 50th on defense. It's okay. That's why I got a one-year deal. Well, that year where he was in New York, the first year, 72nd and 73rd percentiles respectively. 74th and 80th percentiles respectively. respectively. Then goes to Detroit as part of the trade that helps the Knicks clear cap space. Last year, 86th percentile on offense. Yes, they could have moved Eric Rose instead if they... I don't know if it was necessarily want to or whatever, but like yeah. it's, it would have been better if they had substituted one for the other, but I digress. 61st percentile on defense graded out as an 84th percentile player. So that was, in my opinion, the, the case where Knicks really didn't, it didn't go the right way for them. It was the first time of what the players we've seen so far where it's like, I really, you know, I would have loved that back. I, it gave us Jalen Brunson, but also sticking with Derek Rose over Alec Burks. It's just, it hurts because it feels like the Knicks could have gotten further. It's okay. They have Josh Hart to play a similar role, but not the same role because one's more of a guard and one's really considered more of a wing. But uh, they do different things as as we've talked about. And then well, the Knicks would have liked to have a couple, couple of times in these playoffs. Alec Burks. Alec Burks. Yeah. And then Derek Rose, right? Uh, year before he gets to the Knicks, 88th percentile on offense, 8th percentile on defense. Terrible. Gets acquired by the Knicks. And that season... Uh, between Detroit and New York, but mostly New York, 73rd percentile on offense, 55th percentile on defense. The next year, 69th percentile on offense, 90th percentile on defense. Incredible defensive year. And then this past season, 16th in offense, 46th percentiles for defense. So the offense has dropped precipitously, I guess, steadily for three years and then precipitously for the last one. And the defense is just... He had that one really nice year, and it's just not been great. Yeah, and in that year, I think it was part of part of that DEPM was probably a, a function of uh, who he got to play with and with the backups, and they were just really well oiled machine defensively um, in twenty one twenty two, especially in comparison to the starters that year, who were a hot mess. Yes. Not every billionaire has the stamina, the dedication, or the fire to become the most unpopular owner in sports. But not everyone is James Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks. This is Reign of Error, a new podcast series that gives you a courtside seat for the controversies, scandals, and drama that seems to follow the infamous billionaire. Track Dolan's rise from aspiring musician to the throne of one of the most beloved franchises in sports. Along the way, he'll battle his own players, fans, celebrities, the New York media, politicians, even the Girl Scouts. Reign of Error unpacks the outlandish story over five riveting episodes, detailing how Dolan became a lightning rod of criticism in his quest to outdo his billionaire father, while also asking the $6 billion question, why doesn't he just sell the team? Check out Reign of Error wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. 
What's up, Knicks fans? Super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made just for you. Oakley's changing the game, and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train, or just want to look like your favorite athlete? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self and an expression of your personality, with Oakley, there's more than meets the eye. Here at Knicks Film School, our motto is look good, play good, and that's why Oakley is the perfect partner for us. Not a one of us leaves the house in the morning without our Oakleys. And listen up, because it's officially almost summer, which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now. Check out Oakley.com to get yourself a pair today. Also, did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? Now, I know what you're thinking. GMAC, what the hell is that? Well, it's a technology solely used by Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to Oakley.com and check it out for yourself. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses. That'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information today. The next year, 2021-22, Kemba Walker. So the Kemba gamble made sense on paper because you've got him coming off of a season where even though he was traded mm. and had injury, 93rd percentile on offense, 52nd percentile on defense. Boston hit him really well. The Knicks couldn't do that. 74th percentile on offense, third, third percentile on defense. Gets moved to Detroit, gets bought out. Plays for the Mavs with a cup of coffee with them. 59th percentile on offense, 17th percentile on defense. So Kemba was another example of, yeah, didn't really do much afterwards. Another guy, you, you wonder if he's going to be on an NBA team next year. I Yeah, I'd be skeptical, to be quite honest. And he's a great player, uh, at least was. He, I mean, he was great, a great player. Great veteran, it's just not meant to be. Uh, Evan Fournier, I mean, he was great offensively, right? I mean, talk about pull-up shooter, spot-up, but he's not hes not the defensive type. He was a better defender than he was before. Uh, just wasn't, hasn't been in New York. Can't, you know, season before New York, between Orlando and Boston, 90th uh, percentile on offense. Comes to New York, you wouldn't believe it, 84th percentile on offense, but it just wasn't clicking based on how he was used and how the Knicks were using other players around him. And then this past season, he was in the 15th percentile on offense. And the defense, going back the last three seasons, 68th, 31st, 23rd percentile of the most recent season. So again, someone who I would imagine the Knicks move and probably rebounds because I don't think you can get that much worse than the season Evan Fournier had. Um, but if he's I, if he's bad, then it's another team that deals with him for a year. And if he's good, then they could always find a way to bring him back. He's an expiring contract, which I want to take back something I said last week, which is that expiring contracts don't have the value they used to because and credit to uh, Simmons and Russillo. I did a nice episode on the CBA for, for the Simmons podcast uh, yesterday. And just kind of really, I think we've been talking about this, so we like know this is coming, but for teams who are trying to just make sure that they don't skirt this second apron when these new rules come into effect a year from now, um, having $18 million come off your books uh, next summer, you know, might not be the worst thing in the world. So there's some value there, but in terms of him on the court, I really wonder what uh, his role is going to be at his next stop. Not that again, that's going to matter to us, but like 
it is, I did a little bit of a statistical deep dive on him this past week. And it is, he was like, not great when he was with the starters to start out the year, those first seven games. But individually, his numbers were like actually not bad. It was mm-hmm. the team that was really struggling that like they the the front the first five was just atrocious. And then when he went to the bench, he like he was shooting like 30 percent and like 20 percent from three. It was like it was almost unfathomable how poorly he was able to transition or not transition, as it were, to a role um, on the bench. So I wonder at his next stop, if he rebounds, how much of that will have to do with uh, his his role. But anyway. Yeah, and I think he will. I think he'll he'll be a better player. I've got Julius Randle here as well. The reason being he was extended this, you know, in the offseason we're talking about. Julius is so fascinating because before he got to New York, 91st percentile on offense, 37th on defense, gets to New York, uh, you know, dubious handles comes out and he's 76th percentile on offense. 56th percentile on defense. And that was a year where the Knicks just had no spacing, right? I mean, it's Alfred Payton, uh, Reggie Bullock, RJ Barrett. And I guess it, it wasn't even, was Mitch starting that year? Must have been. Uh, his first, Julius's first yeah. year in New York? Yes. Mitch was, he was starting. Starting a good deal, but they also had, um, they had Nerlens. They had signed Nerlens. Yep. Right? They had signed no, no, Nerlens? no. You're thinking of the year, the year uh, before. Who the hell was the your after. center on that team? It was Taj. They had Taj. Right. Yeah. It was, oh, and Bobby Portis. How could I Bobby forget? Bobby Portis there was there too. Yep. Andrew's yeah. reminding us in the chat. Yep. Bobby Portis. So How could we forget Bobby? It was just a, a mess. And that's why season dipped certainly a little bit. Then 2020-21 comes around, right? And 90th percentile on offense. 85th percentile on defense. Really brought it that year. And it helped that he had an incredible shooting season. And yet the efficiency wasn't quite there, but it was nice. And then he has 2021-22, which was terrible. Um, And yet it was still just the 62nd percentile. And I say just both half-heartedly and earnestly because it's it wasn't good. But, you know, I mean, when you watched him, you would have thought this guy can't possibly be in the 62nd percentile. But he was. He did enough offensively that he graded out well. And the defense certainly crashed down from 85th to 64th, which not very good, especially if your offense isn't cracking it. Right. You'd, he'd be an X in that box of 75 by 75 percentiles that we showed earlier. But, you know, Nick stuck by him and they were rewarded with a 95th percentile season in offense. All NBA third team, uh, second all NBA team that he had been elected to or voted for. Uh, and the 56th percentile on defense, which is not great, needs to be better. But the Knicks had better team defenders around him. And then the fascinating story is. Cam Reddish, who was an acquisition that season. Uh, You know, the year I go a little bit back into the history here, right? So his rookie season, Cam Reddish was in the 21st percentile on offense, 63rd percentile on defense, 31st percentile overall. The next time that was his second year. No, no, his rookie year. His rookie year was 21, 63, 31. His sophomore year, his second season was 21, 62. Oh, so it's in the corner where, yes. And so basically where the Knicks are looking at this come 2021 before the deadline, they're saying we've got a player here who's got the length, the versatility and the promise on a defensive end. We just need him to be better on offense. If he can bring the offensive component up, 
then we're talking about a high floor offensive player who can be really good on the defensive end. And so they took him in. And that season, both with Atlanta and New York, he was in the 19th percentile on offense and the 31st percentile on defense. And then comes to New York. You know, he's playing in his fourth season. The Knicks don't extend him. No surprise. They play him. He's in the rotation. They yank him out of the rotation. He's on the, the bench, gets traded to Portland as part of the Josh Hart trade. Finishes the year 22nd offensive EPM, 75th defensive EPM. So the gamble here that the Knicks made, because people still don't fully get it, and I don't quite understand why, but at the same time, I, I guess I do. They saw him as a defensive wing who could spot up and hit a three, but he couldn't really do the offensive part. The defensive part was there, but also Tibbs, I would imagine, didn't feel that he played quite the way that a Tibbs basketball player should play. And it all wound up with the Knicks basically trying to trade up where they packaged a pick and reddish and some salary and got Josh Hart. But that's essentially the direction they were going with Cam Reddish. It was, we buy the defense. Do we buy the offense? It's a gamble, but we'll take it. And instead, the defense didn't come to play quite in the way they wanted. Got better, but didn't. And the offense just stayed stagnant, at least according to these metrics. Um, yeah, I, I think they that had a lot to do with that. He, he needed to go to a certain situation uh, right. in terms of how they were going to handle him. And this was not that situation. It wasn't. Usually and now, that. this past year, the, their best year yet. I mean, how could you not love this? Isaiah Hardenstein, they signed him. Uh, he was coming off a season where he was in the 88th percentile on offense, 92nd on defense. That's good for 93rd percentile. It's a shame because he finished 41st percentile on offense and 76th percentile on defense. Good for 56th overall or 56th percentile overall, I should say. Um, but this was a departure from really who he can be. We know he can be a better player than what he was. The Achilles injuries was missing shots and all these things. So there's room. This is almost a buy low for him. Uh, Jalen Brunson. Entered last off, entered the offseason 91st percentile uh, on offense, 51st on defense, good for 85th overall. And this year takes a step forward on offense, 96th percentile, takes a huge step back defensively, 7th percentile, finishes 88th percentile. You live with that. Yeah. And then finally, Josh Hart, 78th percentile on offense, 65th percentile on defense, good for 78th overall. Then the next season, he's in Portland and New York. Finished this past season, 76th percentile on the offensive end, 92nd percentile on the defensive end, good for 87th percentile overall. So what this three-year arc has kind of told us is that the Knicks basically said, yeah, there are things we like, and we're going to try to get gambles on these players, but we're still trying to form the identity. And as they bought time and developed their own players, they then were able to get to the point, which was the past calendar year, where they acquired objectively good to great players to be in New York, which is a yep. far cry compared to they signed Alfred Payton and Nerlens Noel and sign and trade for Austin Rivers all in one offseason. So they've taken huge steps here and that's fantastic. Um, and it's an important point to, to show for where they can go from here. I mean, just say the quiet part out loud. Nobody wanted to come here. And then they got some guys that wanted to come here. Uh, I say yep. Hardenstein talked about he had other opportunities, at least one other opportunity where he could have played more and made more money. He wanted to come here because he wanted to try to win games. That's what he said. Does he did he fully believe it? I don't know. Did come here? He did win some games. 
Um, Brunson, I mean, his story speaks to its, for itself. And then like the fact that by the time they traded for Josh Hart, Josh Hart was so gung ho about coming here and being being part of this. And even like, you know, it's it, it turned out to be a disaster in, in, in so many ways and we don't have to get into it. But like, and yes, they oh my God, did they pay him handsomely. But it was kind of a big deal that Evan Fournier wanted to come here, even though they gave him all that money. And my God, was it a lot of money. And it was a big deal at the time that Kemba wanted to come here. I, again, I, I, it wasn't the, the bloom was off the rose, but like there was enough there that like, OK, I want to come back to my hometown team. And 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 the, the I think your point is well taken that the perception has slowly changed over time. That's all. Exactly. And now the Knicks don't necessarily need to rely on free agent acquisitions, something that they might do, but based on where their cap and all these things are, it's they did the free agent part for the most part. It's really now finding the right stars, the right players and adding them likely through the draft or through trade. So let's let's look at the patterns, right? We talked about efficiency. Finishing is a huge part of this. Half court offense is also gigantic. Transition is important and outside shooting really for guards and forwards. Uh, that's kind of what they've shown. Maybe that changes. I don't know, but that's essentially where we're at. So I wanted to look at a few players, how they stacked up and then where they fit in with these categories and go from there. And these are showing okay. the players before this past season. So everything leading up to this season. So the first okay. is Jalen Brunson. These numbers are courtesy of cleaning the glass. Uh, he was efficient. Right. I, need for, to, I need to put on my, my Oakley's here for this. <laughs> Ready for this? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. It's good luck, right? Yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, this is he was good efficient for, for, for three of his four years in Dallas. Uh, he was great at the rim. His half court, I mean, he was overall pretty good. I'd say he was even better this past season, but we're not counting that right now. Transition, it was pretty good overall. His most recent season in Dallas, 85th percentile in transition. So that's important. Like this is the, you want to see this. You don't want to see a lot of blues. You want to see mostly orange when it comes to cleaning the glass. And there's certainly some blue here for a younger player, but a lot of orange to work with. Love it. Josh Hart. I mean, outside of one area, it's a sea of orange, right? This is someone who has yeah. always been efficient, um, has always done a really great job of finishing at the rim. Uh, in his, I mean, half court season, Phenomenal. Like he's been phenomenal in the half court outside of the two of the first three years of his career, um, I would say. Uh, and transition, just he's always been good that. For context, he's had only one time where he's appeared in like, you know, 57th percentile on transition. Everything else has been like the season before last, 96th percentile. And it's just, we've seen it. We know how good he can be. We know he could be going downhill, yeah. going left, right. Uh, credit to Benji. Um, right to left, <laughs> whatever Can't, it's, whatever it is, it's yeah, that's whatever what it is, he's very good at it. Miami scouted it well in the playoffs, but mm -hmm. he'll he'll go and practice that in the offseason. I'm sure he'll come back better than ever, right? Uh, and again, the outside shooting is still important, doesn't take a ton of threes, that's something to consider. But that was also, I feel like, as Portland said, stop shooting threes, and the Knicks are encouraging him to do that more, which is the right call. Isaiah Hardenstein, you know, the smaller sample size because the first. Times he was in the league, it just, just kind of cups of coffee wherever he went. But the year before last, um, 82nd percentile on efficient field goal percentage. 
This is among bigs, mind you. 70th percentile at the rim, uh, 80th percentile in the half court, 95th percentile in transition. You can see where the Knicks were going. Yeah. So let's look at where they tried to go and didn't. Uh, Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell, generally pretty efficient, right? Generally pretty efficient. Um, very good at the rim. His last season in Utah. But before that, was okay. Wasn't the best. Um, obviously, generally very good in the half court. I mean, really good in the half court. Most recent season, Utah was 88th percentile. And in transition, he's a beast. Um, I mean, we're talking someone who rookie year, 92nd percentile, 68th percentile, 58th percentile, and then 75th and 83rd percentiles to round it out. So those are important. And then the last player I'm going to show you as a target um, is OG Ananobi, right? Where oh, okay. OG was generally pretty efficient. Uh, last year, I don't think he was quite as efficient, though. But Yeah, that, um, that whole team wasn't very efficient it last was, year. It was rough for them. Uh, typically very good at the rim. Uh, really good half-court player outside of uh, his second season in the NBA. And uh, in transition, outside of his second season and the season before last, he was good to very good. Probably just, you know, above average overall, so to speak. But this kind of is how everything we've talked about is how I want to frame the conversation moving forward in terms of what we're doing next. Because so as a recap, you know, we're talking about archetypes. We're talking about shooting. We're talking about efficiency, how they perform in the half court, how they do in transition. Defense is going to be more of a general topic. It's, it's harder to quantify in the way we can do with offense. I would agree um, with that. So it's hard to pick and choose exactly when it comes to the defensive part, which is important, but again, harder to parse out. And we've also, I think, seen throughout their acquisitions since this regime has been in place that with the defensive end, I think they take more of an attitude towards we'll figure that part out later as they, they know like that's where the defensive archetype at center comes in so prominently is that like they know, okay, all else fails. We're going to have someone back there who's going to be able to protect the rim and we are going to run a scheme that makes sure. And like, you know what people will vehemently disagree with this next statement, but like, that's why you hire Tom Thibodeau. They'll disagree because they saw the next the season ranked, whatever they ranked in defense. They were, they mm-hmm. were, I think 19th or 20th or whatever the hell it was. Um, I think we saw certainly the Cavs series and we saw at times the Miami series, like when push comes to shove, they will be able to defend. It's about getting the players in here who are going to make their offense something that needs to be reckoned with. And they'll figure out the rest later. Agreed.
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.